All right, we are not in the fur shed. We are in the woods, and this is the Trapping Today podcast, episode 44. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood, and I have a co-host with me, Cole Porter, again. Back again. (laughs) You guys remember Cole from a few episodes back from Neil Olson's Trappers Weekend. Um, And we are heading out to my trap line. We're going to go and set out some boxes for Martin Fisher, um, getting ready for the season, and we're actually going to go do some fishing. That's kind of, the the idea was to do some fishing because it's not too late yet in the season, and uh, might as well, might as well do some some work on the trap line while we're here. So, the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cotts Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z Bros, B-R-O-S dot com. Those guys have a full line of trapping supplies. What do you think of Cots Bros, Cole? You've ordered from them. Yeah, I've ordered from them. Really good. Uh, good service. Really fast shipping. Uh, can't say enough good about them. Awesome. Yeah, we've, we're, we're real excited to have them as, uh, as a sponsor on the podcast. I've had a couple people order from Cots Brothers uh, after hearing about them from the podcast, and, uh, and the feedback has been very good. So uh, that's that's great to hear. Um, so anyway, I want to talk a little bit, just maybe have a, a conversation about Martin and Fisher trapping and, and uh, go into things a little bit. I've got, uh, I don't know, I've got the truck, the bed of the pickup truck loaded up with some boxes here. And uh, we're gonna go, go and check things out. And, and these are these Lynx exclusion devices that were required to, uh, to put out for Martin and Fisher trapping. So they take up a lot of space. Can't really get them all in at once if you have a big line. So we're, we're setting them out. I have a bunch that I left in the woods from last year. I get to check on some of those and, uh, and see. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're riding around on some dirt roads here. We got, we got about 30 miles of dirt roads before we get to the line. So we thought we'd talk. What's on your mind? Well, I can see fall leaves are changing. It's uh, definitely getting close to trapping season. Just got my trapping license in the mail the other day. Yeah, I just got mine too. Um, they, I heard from some trappers that weren't too happy that they it took forever to get the license. It took mine was probably three four weeks before I got it. Rumor is they're holding off because of the bear trapping regulation change. Yeah. Yep, mine was probably week and a half or two weeks so took a little bit of time but I wasn't in a real hurry anyways I wasn't bear trapping so yeah it's good to get it taken care of ahead of time and you don't have to worry about it so what's your plans for Martin Fisher trapping well I'll probably probably put out about 20 to 25 sets for Martin Fisher maybe 30 we'll see um, probably trap Maybe two different areas, two weeks each. Um, I'd just like to catch one or two. That'll be good for me. Yep. I'm in an area that doesn't have as many Martin, more Fisher, so we'll see how it goes. So that's an interesting topic. It's been a topic of conversation recently. Um, I actually was on Trapper Man the last yesterday or the day before. Somebody, a, a local guy that I know is a really good trapper in in this area he put up a post about where have all the martin gone and he is seeing a pattern that i've seen we've we've all kind of seen recently the last few years is more and more fisher on our trap lines and fewer martin so um, not sure whether it's kind of a a long-term trend if it has to do with habitat has to do with the type of winters we're having but if you get a chance to pull that up, I kind of got tired of watching it because there's, you know how uh, message boards get people. Everybody has their opinion, and everybody's an expert. And some have good information, and some not so good. So um, arguing back and forth over whether Martin, whether Fisher kill Martin, uh, whether Fisher kill lynx, and, and on and on, and, and so uh, who knows what the real answer is. What, what we see though is where we ears where we have more fisher we have fewer martin and vice versa uh, 
However, we know we, we know there's been a lot of research that shows that Fisher Fisher will kill Martin. Um, have you are you fruit familiar with with any of that stuff? Yeah, basically from what I've heard and read, the, the Fisher sees a Martin, he's going to try to kill it. Um, they just don't get along. I think it's probably probably Martin doesn't get along with the weasel either. It might be my guess. Yeah, um, but I think. Uh, Martin habitat, they really need to have an area where they're able to get away from the fisher. And if they're not able to, for instance, if the woods has been cut over hard and they're in there hunting and they can't jump from tree to tree, uh, fisher's probably going to catch up with them on the ground. So I think so. And, and a lot of guys have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that a fisher would try to kill a Martin uh, because, you know, it's not like your typical predation where a fisher is chasing down a rabbit or killing a porcupine. A fisher is not killing a marten in order to eat him. A fisher is, there's a, there's a concept in ecology that is referred to as intra-guild predation. And a guild is like a group of animals that occupy the same type of habitat space they feed on the same type of uh, food items. Uh, basically, there, there's some o- enough overlap, there's a chance for them to compete for food resources. And within that guild, there's a few different species. You could say Fisher, Martin, and Weasel are pretty similar in, in a guild of those, those uh, mustelid predators in, in, northern, in this area. Intra-guild predation is where uh, one animal in the guild will kill another because he represents a competitor. So what that means is the fisher is much bigger than a marten. If a fisher can catch a marten in it within its territory, it's motivated to kill that marten in order to reduce the other number of competitors for the food resource. So it's kind of an ingrained, uh, instinctual action that that fishers take uh, to kill Martin that are in their area. Now, you brought up a really good point. Well, if Fisher can catch Martin and they're going to kill Martin, then why do we see Fisher and Martin in the same places? Uh, I think a big part of that is, well, here in Maine, we have timber harvest that displaces animals and brings them into the same area, and I think it might, you know, yeah, there's there's there, there's going to be overlap. Yeah, because both species and they can, use the same type of area too. So, but I think the important thing, like what you said about having areas to escape from Fisher, seems to be the way Martin can get by uh, in in spite of that interguild predation. Yeah, and it, it, it's what do you think of when you think of like Martin? Like uh, we always think of it as um, predators from above like hawks uh, that are that are killing Martin and they do a very significant amount of that but there was a study in Wisconsin or Minnesota I was reading it yesterday where of just as many Martin were killed by fishers as were killed by hawks so we know that they look like they need canopy cover. They need cover from above to protect them from those aerial predators. But what do they need? I've been thinking about this and I don't know exactly what it is, but they need something on the ground and in the forest to protect them from fishers to be able to get away. Holes in the ground. <laughs> it could be. I, I mean, we always, I, I like what you said about being able, you know, maybe having closely spaced trees where yeah. they can get get up in the treetops and, and run and jump, but uh, certain holes around logs too, if they have that stuff, just like their den sites, but if they can go inside those spots and a fisher can't fit, then exactly significantly it, different in size. It, it's interesting, in, in Canada there's some uh, groups of trappers that actually make nesting boxes for marten, for female marten to go in and nest in, and they they do this in places where it, it appears that the habitat, nesting habitat, has been reduced by timber harvest. 
So they'll go and like make these boxes and put them up in the tree and they have a certain size hole. The diameter of the hole is sized just right so a female Martin can get in there but a male can't. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Because not only do Fisher kill Martin, male Martin will kill females and the young certain times of the year. So, so they need those those certain different types of, of places to get in where something bigger can't get to them. Um, one of the studies in Maine showed uh, the importance of vertical and horizontal structure in the forest. Okay. So that's that's something that I I want to start looking at even more. Is I don't always look at that. I, I'm kind of. We'll talk a little, maybe a little bit about what we look for to to place our martin sets, but I'm guilty of always looking for cover and thick overhead cover with you know pretty clean understory of forest. Yeah. And maybe we ought to be looking at more of a combination of overhead cover, but also a lot of horizontal structure, meaning like trees that have come down, a yeah. bunch of a bunch of down dead trees. Uh, that give that animal a chance to to, uh, to to move around and get away from predators. Yeah, I think the Martin Martin like to use those down trees just to run around while they're hunting anyways. I was telling Jeremiah earlier, I videoed a Martin while I was bear hunting a couple of weeks back and the Martin just kept going and using down trees to travel through the woods. We just drove so. by a guy, bear baiter, <laughs> truck full of a bunch of barrels. <laughs> Yeah, so tell us about that. Uh, tell us about that video. I, you sent me that video, and it was real. It's a little bit low resolution, um, so I didn't. I didn't get all the details, but it looked yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, uh, one of the first nights I sat on the bear bait, I saw uh, Martin come in. Uh, it was right at dark, so I couldn't really see it that well. It basically just ran through, and it was gone. I was hoping I'd see it again, so I made sure I had my camera ready to take video and a couple nights later it came back and it was, there was plenty of daylight to video it and basically it would go up and down um, small trees and uh, trees that had fallen over while it was hunting for squirrels. It was pretty neat and then I actually watched it chase a squirrel up a tree and chase it horizontally through the tree before it caught it so that was really neat. So you watched it catch and kill it a squirrel. Was pretty neat. I never would have thought that That's I would awesome. get to see that. Um, and then, yeah, and then I actually saw a fisher there a few few days later. So definitely, both of them are in the same area. This road here that we're going by, there's a there's a pretty extensive road system off of this with a bunch of fresh like clear cuts and stuff. Okay. On this is actually one of the spots. As I pull my line closer to town, yeah. I'm, I'm probably gonna try to set out a dozen or clear cuts. Sets or are they just? Yep, there's yeah. big, massive clear cuts, but there's also huge buffer areas that they've left near the stream. There's a there's a brook there that flows into. I won't say the name of the lake on the yeah. podcast, but you know the lake that we yeah that's just north of us here. That yeah, um, and. Yeah, so so I think there like the there's a bunch of mature timber still there that hasn't been cut yet, and there's a good area along the brook. So I'm gonna go in there and see if see if I can get into some art. Yeah, setting right along the uh, edge of the long cuts the there. If they're starting to grow up, some of them. And... But anyway, what were we talking about? The Martin talking about the Martin going through the trees. Would you did you learn anything like about their movements, how they move, where they go, what they can get up on and climb through? Well, they definitely will have no problem going up onto trees. I I think in the past I've heard people, some people, the leaning pole set, I've read on forums or something, something about maybe they don't want to go up those. This this Martin in particular would go up anything. It didn't, <laughs> if it was, you know, even if it was vertical, going after the squirrel, I had no problem just going right to the top of a big maple tree. So, and small small trees too. One tree was laid over that was probably only a couple inches in diameter. It was that small. Yeah. And that Martin hopped up, grabbed onto it, and kind of climbed right up it. Really? Didn't mind it at all. It was moving the whole time. But 
that no problem going on really small diameter trees as well. I remember one of the first Martin that I caught when I was coyote trapping, when I was in high school just learning to trap. I had, we have a early coyote season, fox and coyote season, where you have to release any Martin and Fisher that you catch. It goes for like a week and a half, two weeks before the general trapping season starts. And I caught a Martin in a foothold and I had to release it. And the, right next, not far from where the set was, there was a tree, there was a little like maple tree and it was probably less than two inches diameter. It was pretty small. And as soon as I released that Martin, it took off and it went right up that tree, yeah. right up to the very top of that tree. And it stopped and it looked at me and then it ran right back down the tree and took off through the woods. So they can, they can climb on small stuff. The fisher are the same way though. I have, I got a trail camera picture one time of a fisher. I had stuck an apple, um, maybe six feet up the tree and it was a very small sapling and the, the fisher actually climbed up that little sapling to check out the apple so i think as long as it can support their weight yeah they're gonna climb it the um, so one of the things that I, I thought about was having so so what a martin might do if you have a fisher that's say eight to twelve pounds generally right and yeah. Martin, that's three to four pounds, maybe. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the Fisher is a lot heavier than the Martin. So, having not seen a Fisher chase a Martin up a tree, I'm just kind of visualizing this. But if the Martin's able to go further out on those limbs, because you you saw him going out to the end of limb of one tree and then onto another tree, right? Yeah, I saw. Well, the first night that it came into the site, it, like I said, it was really dark. And it, um, yeah, it jumps probably, I'm gonna say five feet to grab onto another limb. Yeah. No problem, so. So, so if, if being chased by a fisher, a Martin may be able to take advantage of having those trees available to, to run out on the end of, and the fisher's a little too heavy to be able to make that jump to the next tree. Yeah. Yeah, cause he's, he's kind of pushing that, that limb down. So, so there's probably, there's something there with, with the amount of, with the number and type of trees that are there that allow Martin to escape from being preyed upon by Fisher. And then you have the, the complexity on the forest floor for, uh, and, and like little root systems underneath the base of these big trees where they can duck into, or, or a hollow log that's just the right opening. And I think the more of those that are available in a particular area, the more likely you're gonna have Martin there. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, looking, it's hard. Like where I'm trapping, it's the main township I'm trapping in is has been caught very hard. So it's, uh, I don't think there's many Martin there. I know there's a few, but not many at all. And that's kind of what we're looking for is some woods that's a little bit older at least close by to the stuff that's been cut more recently. Those martin can come in there for food, but then when they're nesting and things like that, they need to, making a den, they need to be able to find some a good area to do that in, somewhat close by. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why I look for, I look for edges. I don't know if that's the best strategy or not, but, but I think uh, that open area that has been not necessarily like a clear cut, but areas that have been harvested and are growing back, they tend to hold a lot of small mammals like mice and voles. And just because there's more complexity in the habitat, there's more little micro habitats. And uh, so that, I don't know if that's, I don't know how much scientific rigor there is behind that but it seems like there's more food in those those younger forests compared to an older forest but the martin need that older forest in order to have the shelter from predators both above and and from on the ground so i try to look for those edges and and i believe that they travel those edges when they're feeding and and go back and forth between the edge and and cover yeah, another thing is, along with that, is looking for these edges. 
Martin trappers in Maine that do pretty good and some of them have put out some videos and they always mention they see a hillside and they can see a transition between hardwood and softwood they'll put a Martin trap there yeah must be something about them going for different types of food and habitat right along they're working along the side of the hill I guess most likely that would be the area where they think they would do it so which which video did you watch I think saw a couple that they said that in. I, I see there was, are they YouTube or are you talking? Yeah, they'd be clips from YouTube probably. Because there's one I'm actually getting ready to buy. If I can pull the trigger, it's uh, a main trap line. It's uh, Donaghy, Brian Donaghy. I think I saw a, a clip from theirs might be on YouTube that they cover that in. And then of course Bob Noonan's His uh, had it. Martin Trapping yeah, yeah. video. It, I, I mean a lot of the regulations have changed since Bob's video was made, well, they all have changed, but I'm, I would really like to know more about how he chooses habitat. The other thing is that just, okay, so the the range of Martin, within the range of Martin, I've, I've trapped Martin out west in Montana and Utah and up here, here in northern Maine and talked to guys that have trapped him everywhere in between and all the way up in Alaska. The habit type of habitat in areas that have that whole martin is very very diverse so you go up in alaska you're talking about uh, this is also a little road system that it doesn't go very far but there's there's oh, okay. room for like maybe five or six sets yeah, I, see the, I see they're baiting up there <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can see where now. you can see where the bear baiters have gone uh for sure so so they're you know they're like spruce tundra area where there's just like barely enough cover overhead and then yeah. you've seen that alpine type of oh, habitat where they're out in the open they're putting a leaning pole up on an area where you can see hundreds of yards even maybe and then you, the edge. right and like you've seen andrew stanley's videos where he's trapping for martin there's just like it's open country and then there's a few tufts of small trees like they're probably black spruce yeah and there's just enough to have a little bit of cover and you catch Martin in it. And then you go to uh, Utah, Idaho, Montana, and it's a lot of like taller, bigger, large uh, lodgepole pine yeah. and, and uh, Douglas fir. There's kind of a mix of that. And you'll find Martin in that stuff. And there's almost no, there's almost no structure underneath a lot of those stands. And they're just like one species. Like that's kind of weird. Uh, but there are other types of things that they use for cover there. The other thing, think about it because, okay, I, I'm going off on so many tangents here. I'm trying to keep it. I have no no notes. We're just riding down the road. Uh, there's actually a bunch of beaver lodges that go along the road here. There's there's a big there's beaver flowages up up and down this uh, brook, and and. I've seen some active spots. It'd be a yeah. good place to go in and get some bait, some beaver yeah. for part yeah. of I'm gonna have to do that. But anyway, okay. There, what we have going on in Maine is a transition in the forest. So we we have hardwood, softwood mixed forest, and it's transitioned to a much younger forest than it used to be because of all the timber harvest. So. What's happening here is the companies, a lot of, one of the major land companies is clear cutting all of the hardwood ridges. Uh, they'll like clear cut 100 acres of a hardwood ridge and then they'll plant spruce in that clear cut. And they'll spray uh, herbicide to kill all of the hardwoods that try to come up. And so you have a monoculture spruce, spruce plantation going coming up into that old hardwood area or mix it was a mixed wood stand in most cases the on the face of it you would say well that's fine when that grows up it actually looks pretty good i've seen some of the older plantations when they thin them out and they get to 30 40 years old and the spruce gets mature and it's like wow that looks pretty good there's no structure on the bottom well a guy that traps in alaska or the western u.s would say well, we, that's the stuff we trap Martin in all the time, and we, we have all kinds of Martin there, so you shouldn't be worried about that. What's the big difference between here and there? Oh, 
species-wise. Well, we have we have Fisher. We have Fisher. Yeah. They have almost. They have essentially no Fisher. Uh, very few of those places have Fisher. Montana has very very few. They they don't have. You I mean you you never see them. So maybe if you have overhead cover from predators and you have enough denning habitat. Maybe you can get by without a lot of structure on the forest floor. But when you have, that's where it, it kind of adds a little bit to that argument that that cover is important for getting away from fisher. Another thing maybe is that they're covering huge areas compared to us as far as the amount of uh, martin or fisher in a small, in a certain area, density wise. Alaska for sure. Oh, yeah. definitely. So maybe. The further north you yeah. go, the less productive, yeah. the more square miles it takes to support an animal. Yeah. I think that's because of our habitat having that structure in the lower part of the, uh, the forest probably helps with having us have a higher density per, per area than they do. Yeah, and, and it, it really is, I mean, not saying Fisher is a villain. I really like trapping Fisher. Actually, I, I, I just, you know, I. It's it's interesting to see how how we the numbers of Fisher have appear to have gone up substantially up here, and and it may be may or may not be impacting the Martin, but it, it's really overall it's really awesome to be able to go in an area and you set out a trap line, and you don't know what you're going to catch. You could. You, you walk up to a set, it could have a martin, it could have a fisher, it could have a weasel in it. Oh yeah, I think, do you remember when fisher started moving their way up through the state? Was that in the 50s or 60s? Uh, or 70s even? Because I, I, I remember reading, looking at the harvest numbers recently, I can't remember. I believe it, I believe it was sometime, it was sometime beginning in the 50s. Okay. I remember, and, and I don't know for sure, but I remember there was a telemetry study on Fisher in central Maine back in the 50s-ish, if I remember right. It was somewhere in that era. And it was it was a kind of a novel thing that it was like, these fi Fisher, we don't know anything about them and they seem to be expanding their range. I think they basically followed the coyote as, as uh, you know, all of this farm ground began to start, began to grow up. We had kind of, so what we had historically in Maine, the first half of the 20th century, is you had a very, you basically either had farmland or you had old growth forest. And there was a stark contrast between the two. So you didn't have a lot of young forest where it was like regenerating farmland or cut over forest. What's happened over the last 50, 70 years is the farmland has been abandoned and grown up because the farmers farming has, has declined substantially up here. So the farmland has grown up into young forest and the mature woods have been cut and regrown into young forest. So on both ends we've got more and more young forest and fisher love young forest. That's that's kind of their, their spot. Uh, Martin are, are known to favor old growth, mature forest. So as that kind of occurred at the same time, fishers seem to be moving their way up. And the theory has always been that snow depth uh, has limited the ability of fishers to, to continue to move their range further north. Yeah, I think as long as they, they need a big cedar sand or something like that, which we do have a, scattered around up here, and I think that's probably where they go in the winter. They can uh, get into some snow that's not as deep. Yeah, they keep moving. Yeah, they seem to hang out in those areas. It's it's really incredible to see how the the changes in the habitat and the climate have changed those species. For instance, we used to have tons and tons of bobcat in northern Maine back when we had tons of deer. Uh, we are we're I don't know we're north several dozen miles north of where Bob VE Bobcat Lynch the historic legendary trapper used to run bobcats with dogs and trap bobcats uh, he he always you know it was always a bobcat and deer bobcat and deer and there was never talk of lynx and that was all through the 40s 50s 60s 
and as the habitat has changed, it's also benefited uh, more fewer deer, which bobcat fed on in northern Maine, believe it or not. Some people uh, disagreed with that for many years. And more snowshoe hare, which lynx feed on. So the increasing hare numbers and the decreasing deer numbers tended to favor lynx more, and the lynx moved down from their they're kind of at the southern extent of the range and that southern extent has pushed down into our area. Uh, now we got tons and tons of lynx. Yeah, not many bobcat at all. If Hardly any, if, ever if see any. bobcat trap. I actually just had a, a friend ask me the other day, why don't you try to trap a bobcat? And I said, <laughs> well, I said, I don't think I've ever even seen one in the wild ever. I don't. I never go to southern Maine, but um, even yeah, just never saw them. I think I saw their tracks once or twice, and I'm pretty sure it was a bobcat. But other than that, um, they're just not. As far as maybe a line halfway across the state of Maine north, there's not very many of them. I don't believe I've ever seen one up here, and and I see see lynx pretty regularly. Some years more than others, but it's it's not uncommon to see lynx up here. And we see tracks all the time. They're, they're, they're bouncing around. They go investigate our sets a lot of times. So yeah, that's it, it's all about the how the habitat changes. So if we are targeting Martin, uh, basically ahead because fisher numbers have gone up so far so much recently, and. We are limited to 10 Fisher and 25 Martin. Actually, talked to uh, one of the very good trappers up this way. He traps a little ways south of here, but not far. He, last year, him and his partner trapped 38 Martin and 20 Fisher. And that is a lot of Fisher for the amount of Martin. I mean, his, when I, 15 years ago, when I was trapping, we would catch, I mean, geez, I caught, when I, where I started trapping, the first three years on, in my body grip traps, I caught 30 Martin, and I don't think I caught a Fisher. Yeah. And my buddy was trapping uh, a little ways north of me, and he was in a little more farm ground area, but he caught, I think he caught two, he caught one or two Fisher, and he caught, I don't know, a dozen Martin. So, in general though, that was, geez, I remember my trapping mentor, he was trapping coyotes, and he was catching a bunch of Martin and Fisher in his coyote sets, but it was still like, I remember one year he limited out on Martin, and I don't know if he caught more than three or four Fisher. So now we're getting to the point where I just got an email from a guy this morning who said he, uh, in 2016, he caught 10, he caught 23 Martin or 22 Martin and 10 Fisher. So he had to stop. He had to pull yeah. his traps because he had got his Fisher limit oh, and, he, and he couldn't get his 25 Martin. So we're seeing more and more of that. So what my goal is, my thoughts are is, uh, and I caught last year, I think I caught, I caught, it was two to one Martin to Fisher instead of 10 to one or whatever. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is, on this line, on trapping in general up here, I want to look, I want to target Martin, and I'm happy with any fish, I'm thrilled with any fisher I catch. Yeah. But I want to go for Martin. So, what do you think, I mean, we're going to go, I'm actually showing Cole's the only person that's ever seen this trap line other than me. Yeah, <laughs> I've been out here a few times, but... The I haven't saw where the traps are. I'm, I'm just kind of big, at least. I don't know. I'm I'm just kind of a hermit when I go in the woods. I, I fish by myself. Um, this is the first time taking somebody fishing up here. I trap by myself, hunt by myself, and I don't I don't know. I I just like it that way. Um, one yeah. thing you should always do when you set a trap line out by yourself. What should you do? Oh, let someone know where you're going. What if you break your leg and you're laid up in the hospital and you can't check your traps? You probably ought to mark them down in some way too. So, so I do. Yeah. I all of my traps are marked with GPS waypoints, and I have a short description on how to find them. 
in case the GPS waypoint is off a little bit. So there's that. Uh, I'm actually going to try today. We're going to try the Onyx Maps. Okay. Um, yeah. App. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I've got it on my Garmin Oregon GPS unit, and that's what I've been using the last few years. But uh, this uh, company, if you haven't heard of them, Onyx Maps, they do landowner mapping information. Uh, they basically in the Western U.S. they provide all of the landowner data on for for hunters. So you can have a chip or a, a, on your GPS or an app on your phone tells you who owns the land that you're on really really great uh, great resource it's growing like crazy so a little background my my wife's brother is a part owner in the company and he's he was college buddies with the guy that started the company he he actually had has a PhD in chemistry and he left his chemist job to go and work with Onyx Maps and be part of the company. So he's kind of encouraged me to, to try out the app for the phone on the trap line and see how it works for trapping. Uh, see if, if uh, it's good a good resource to recommend to other trappers. So we're going to try that out. I'm going to try to get these, get a bunch of these marked on both, have them both on the GPS and the phone. So uh, to see how that works. And I've got the aerial images downloaded on the phone and everything. Um, that's actually, I saw a bunch of fisher tracks as a road. I was, I was looking at that area when we were yeah. going by that. So we're looking at, we're driving through probably a hundred acre clear cut. I would say it's pretty substantial plant, plantation in it. But there's a valley that they did not harvest and it's a bunch of spruce that's kind of, it's not like old growth and it's, it's not, it's sort of probably 20 to 30 year old spruce that's grown pretty tight, spruce and fir. And then there's a ridge, there's a hardwood ridge that comes up out of that valley and there's a pretty distinct line between the hardwood and softwood yeah. really coming together. Well, what you don't see is right along that line there's a road that that goes off to the back there probably okay. half a mile. And there's a road that peels off and it goes kind of a third of the way up that I ridge. You can see where they cut up at one point. Yep, up there, right? And that may be where the road goes. I don't remember. And further to the left, if you look yep. way back to that hill that slopes oh, down. Oh, up there, okay. You can yep. see where they had some trails going off that road way yep. back. So so I drove that last fall when we had like an inch or two of snow on the ground and I saw there was two sets of fisher tracks on that road. So that's, that's a, another spot. There's so many places you can set. Initially, I came out here to get away from everybody because yeah. I knew where I knew where most people trapped, and I just wanted to find a spot where I would be on my own. I don't want to share, compete with other trappers. I just, you know, so I came all this way out, and it turned out there's other people trapping here too. Oh, of <laughs> but but there aren't as many, so it's a, it's a pretty good area. But I mean, we've driven by enough room for five, six guys to trap on these different road yeah. systems. And, and I picked I picked this area, but I'm I'm probably gonna transition. So tell me more about your your plans, cause you're you're like two hours south of here where you're gonna be trapping, right? Yeah, I'm probably gonna be trapping around Sherman. So oh, don't don't say too much about yeah. the area. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that's a all big, the trappers that's a big area. Yeah, I won't, I won't have any traps in Sherman around there. Uh, you can share that. I don't care. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to have a bunch of people flocking to your trap line to go check it out. Um, but what are you looking for in terms of uh, general habitat types? Uh, how far are you going to space your traps out? What are these things going through your head? Yeah, I think we're I all kind of. I have a hard time with that because I don't know if I should just drive and go every quarter mile, half mile, stick a trap, or. If I should, or two traps, or if I should just look for somewhere that looks good and put traps at those, and then maybe have them two miles in between traps. Um, that is such a hard that. thing to yeah. deal with. I know guys that trap by the odometer. Yep. Yeah, they put one trap on each side of the road and keep, or something like that. Every keep going. quarter mile, every half mile, thing clicks. And I think that works. That can work in places where habitat is really uniform and you have high, high densities of yeah. animals. 
they're coming in good and you're bound to intercept them here uh, it's it's tough um, what are other features that uh, brooks if a brook goes down through an area and they haven't cut hard around it I'm looking for those I just from Hiking around with snowshoes on in the winter, I've saw a lot of fisher sign and marten sign near those brooks, working the edges of them up and down. What do you think on, on why that is? I think the forest type has something to do with it. Yeah, so we uh, the regulations here are different when you're near a stream. So they tend to not cut as heavily near no. the streams. So there tends to be more wood there, so they got more cover, right? Yep. Usually there's a cut within a couple hundred feet so there's going to be an edge yeah yeah all the animals need water too so everything needs water everything needs water squirrels and mice and everything so i think probably you you know you've got the mink that are eating frogs and stuff and salamanders martin may be doing a little bit of feeding on on some of that stuff on the edge of the water um, yeah yeah it could I, be yeah and sure they do the other thing is the terrain. I haven't even gone down that road at all. There's there's so many places. I think the other people trap up there come down from yeah, Allagash. That's all clear cuts all the way. So there's there's something and I don't I don't know if this affects Martin and Fisher at all. It does affect larger animals for sure, larger mammals how the terrain tends to funnel animals through a certain area. Look how dry that is. Wow. We're crossing a stream, trout stream here. <laughs> it hasn't rained, it hasn't rained it hardly long. all summer. But, so, well. the, the, so you, if you have like a saddle or a stream valley, yeah. there's a low area there that makes it easier to travel than going up and over, yeah. up and down hills. So the same with the saddle would be That'd be where the deer and everything would go through. Wants so, to go up over. I try to think about that. I've heard several guys talk about, so some people will go and they'll hit all the low spots. So if there's a cedar run, some people call it cedar run, a brook yeah. that goes down along uh, this kind of low spot. They'll just ride the road until they drop into one of those. They'll set a trap on either side, go back till they hit the, keep going till they hit the next one. Some guys, will stop at the top before they drop mm -hmm. down into their valley oh. and they'll set their sets on the top. So that theory maybe is, okay, here we are, we're entering the road system. Yep. I'm gonna have to uh, swear you to secrecy. Yeah, I won't be saying saying any uh, any name. <laughs> so, so it could be, you know, some guys think that they run the top of the, kind of the ridge line on the edge of that drop. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a little, a little bit of both. Sometimes I go through a spot and I'll, I'll, I'll set my set in that top area because I feel like in a lot of cases the air currents will drop, will send uh, wind currents will send this, your scent from your bait down the valley. Yep. And so if you're in a high spot, that, uh, that scent, if it's dropping down, they're going to tend to travel through and they smell that and they'll go up to investigate. Yeah, I think if there's a funnel or something going down the hill, like a little bit of a ravine, that would help scent go down through. At least I've talked to bear guides that mention that when they're putting, if they have to put a bait site out higher up, just because of the road system, that's what they'll look for. You kind of find a little bit of a ravine leading down to the swamp, and then they'll put their bear bait in that. Um, but yeah, I think last year I, I did a lot of that setting traps in the cedar. And uh, this year I'm going to, I'm going to do that still, but not as many. I think I didn't do well, so I might try something different. There are so many different ways and types and places to set here, and it can vary from year to year. Some years when, the, when we have a high mast year, like I've talked about in previous episodes, they'll be, the Martin official will be up on the hardwood ridges, then other years they'll be down low in the valleys. So it's crazy. Now, last year I did not do very well up here and one reason was nobody did very well. It was just a really poor year because there was so much other food available that the Martin and Fisher didn't come into the sets very well. 
So initially I said, I'm gonna pull everything out. I'm not even gonna go, I'm never coming back to this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I got to thinking about it and you know, I also, the other thing was I had those 160 style, I get a bunch of them back here still. And those did very poorly compared to the smaller boxes. So there's that going on. How much of it was actually the area? How much was the year, the type of box? Uh, the boxes are not, yeah. I mean, I had more than one animal thrash my trap around, my box around on me last fall. I bet it was probably a fisher. We were allowed to trap without the box. I guess that my chances of catching those You'd have have been them. pretty good. <laughs> so. so my thoughts are now is I said, I'm going, I've got all this written down, I got all the set locations, GPS, and I've got I've got where everything I've caught. I I wrote down which set it was at and the date when I caught it. So I'm going back here and I'm gonna do those same 60 sets and I'll do all over again the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. That's probably that may be crazy or it may work. I don't know yet. But I'm gonna do it, but this time I'm gonna do it for a short period of time. Now, I don't know exactly what that, it's hard to dis, get disciplined here and decide because it is. it's a lot of work to pull 60 boxes out or even 30 boxes out and move them to a new area and scout it out and find set locations. So I'm kind of trying to set a rule and I, you, you mentioned a rule that, what, what's your rule that you're going to try to go by? Oh, which one was that? How long are you going to wait before you pull? Oh, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna try to do two weeks. Uh, I could end what if, up. What I if could, you're catching a bunch I, of? I could end up leaving them there for a month. <laughs> I, I and then that's that. what I said last year. I left them for a month. The snow came. I pulled everything. I was done. So it's easy to get sucked into that. I mean, I'm trying to. It depends on where I'm living too. I don't know right now. If I move before then then things will change, but uh, distance to drive in between makes a big difference for me too. I'm trying to yeah. not burn too much gas. Yeah, It's hard because we're trying to trap in unorganized townships. You don't have a lot and of those I, where you, you know, live. I, yeah, they're spaced out. There might be a few and then you might have to drive a ways to get to a few more. So up here, everything is where we are right now, but uh, that, that extends our check time. That helps a lot. Five-day check versus three-day check, that's, yeah. that can make a big difference yeah. if you work, like we both work full-time jobs. So we either gotta take a, do we do it on the weekend, but then you gotta do something during the week, and it's either take some time off from work, or you're running traps till two in the morning. Yeah, and with me, I'm gonna be, we're busy right through the fall, really busy in November so it's uh, basically I'd have to leave work at around 3.30 drive an hour plus to get to the traps and then probably check into the dark so that makes it complicated if I start setting further from the road too. Yeah. Because I had put a few traps last year. Oh that's a whole other plus, podcast episode. 100 yards plus in. <laughs> it's hard in the dark to find them. Oh man a whole other thing guys that set Guys that'll set so close they can see every trap from the road, all the way to guys that walk a quarter mile for each set. It's, it's there's a lot of ways to do it, but um, yeah, I've kind of tried to get myself into this because some people set in one spot and they stay there all season and they're successful. Some people, I I seem to see more successful trappers, Martin and Fisher who move um, quite a bit and they they'll at least once they'll have their entire trap line uprooted and put into a brand new area so I'm kind of in between those but right now my rule that I'm setting and I I'm gonna try to follow it is the third check I'm gonna pull so I'm gonna set I'm gonna check one time I'm gonna check two times and and that may be five days or it may be uh, three or four depending on how what lines up with a weekend but I'm gonna I'm gonna set check check and the third time I'm gonna pull because it's so easy to say okay I'm gonna pull based on what I catch yeah and then you're all the way through the line and you've caught three Martin 
and it's like well that's not as good as I expected but it's a lot of work to go back and pull them all maybe I'll let it go one more time and then I'll see what I do next time and, and by then it's a month in your season and it'll you're probably help with managing your trap line too I think so so as, far as long term it'll probably help there's a lot of opinions on that too that too yeah and that's another podcast episode on fur bear management and you're dealing with competition and how do you manage populations but basically yeah if you're if you're setting and pulling you're kind of getting the cream of the crop there the easiest animals right away and then the the attraction to it is you're going to a brand new area with a brand new set of martin that in theory haven't been trapped previously so all of a sudden like your chances are just like just like you started a new trap line all you know two or three weeks in so it's way more work it requires a lot more area to trap but i kind of i want to do it because i think it'll make me a more successful trapper anyway we are uh we're at the first set oh <laughs> So I figured. I actually think I can do all these without the GPS after I ran them so many times yeah, last you'll year. you remember where they are. Um, but man, I'm having fun with this conversation. I hate to end it, but we're uh, we're close to an hour in and we got a lot of work to do. Yeah. We got to run a bunch of sets and then we're going to go fish until dark. Yeah, I'm ready to get doing some walking in the woods. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining me and thank you guys for joining us here at the Trapping Today podcast. We will catch you next time support trapping trapping today by supporting cots brothers lures uh, find more about us trappingtoday.com and uh, i got long distance call lure there for sale to for your martin and fisher trapping or other trap line needs got a book for profit trapper's guide to the modern fur market you can find just about anywhere but until next time get, get out there and get ready for trapping season there's a lot to be done and the season is closing in on us it's getting colder and uh, before you know it, it'll be here. So keep on going and we will we'll catch you on the next episode.